Amen. Good morning. I wonder if you've seen these signs before. Objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. Deep water. Your home is at risk if you do not keep up your mortgage repayments. Slippery when wet. The price of shares may go up or down. Mind your head. Our lives are surrounded by warnings. Warnings to protect your health or your finances or indeed protect, in this increasingly litigious society, protect the people who put the warning signs up in the first place. Sometimes warnings are tongue-in-cheek because the people they're talking to are stupid. And uh, here are a few. And the next one. And the next one. And the next one. And sometimes they're hilarious and theologically incorrect, like this one. <laughs> Thank you, Amen. You can do two things with warnings. You can heed them or you can ignore them. And today's passage is a warning about two types of false gospel. And you can check these out by keeping your Bibles open to Colossians chapter 2, and you can heed them or you can ignore them. The warning is a few verses earlier. We heard it last week in verse 8 of chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition rather than on Christ. Put simply, warning, don't get suckered into false gospels, false teachings, fake versions of the true gospel. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, and he's counteracting this heresy that taught that for salvation you needed Jesus plus Something. Jesus plus rituals or observances or absences from certain foods. Or Jesus plus a secret or higher state of religious experience. So today we're going to consider two things. A physically false gospel in verse 16 and a spiritually false gospel in verse 18. And the warning is... Watch out not for the fake news, but for the fake good news. Two weeks ago, when Tim was preaching, he said, this stuff can be quite plausible. Okay? So we need wisdom, we need to discern, and we need to be aware. So, open your Bibles, verse 16. Therefore, and uh, hopefully whenever you see the word therefore, you immediately think to yourself, what's it? 
therefore. And, and it's a linking word, isn't it? It's coming from the passage before. Um, and actually, in chapter 3, verse 1, which is next week's sermon that William will be preaching on, that also starts with the same Greek word. Um, it's pr- translated as since then, I think, but it's also the same word as therefore. And so this week and last week and next week are all part of kind of the same message. Therefore, let me paraphrase what happened last week. Verses 9 to 15, because Christ has accomplished everything for us, he is supreme and he is sufficient and paid for all of our sins at the cross. Therefore, here we go, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. So it seems that the fake good news here is that the message that is being taught by some people is that these man-made practices or these ritual religious practices are just as important as Jesus Christ. And some people have been teaching that you had to do such and such to be a follower, a real follower of Jesus. And Paul is saying, codswallop, bunkum, that's not true. Whatever symbols are used, whatever rituals are used, they must not be mistaken for the real thing. Paul is confronting what we call legalism. Legalism is when you add human rules to divine rules and you consider them as divine. Legalism exists when people attempt to secure their righteousness in God's sight by works. And legalists believe they can earn or merit God's approval by what they do. Whereas the gospel says we gain God's approval by what Christ has done for us. Amen? So two important things to note here. In this verse 16, Paul is not making a judgment or passing a view on or about these Jewish festivals or observances. He's not saying they're bad or wrong in or of themselves. He's fairly neutral. He comments on them a few verses later in verse 20 that we'll get onto in a mo. But what he's keen to point out is that these things, these Old Testament rituals and festivals, what you eat and what you drink, were only a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. If you look towards the floor, you probably see a shadow. Yeah? So compare that shadow with you. You are three-dimensional, but your shadow is flat. You make noises, sometimes unintentionally, but your shadow is silent. You smell. I was looking forward to saying that. (laughs) But your shadow does not smell. Shadows are tasteless. They are colorless. They are pretty poor representations of reality. And so Paul is comparing these false gospels as shadows of the reality that is Christ. So he says, don't let anyone judge you on these matters. These Old Testament observances merely pointed to this future reality that was fulfilled entirely 
by Jesus. Now, these religious rules for living might help point you towards God, but they don't make you more acceptable to him. The message that religious rules help save you is fake good news. The second point here is that the passage is not saying there are no rules or boundaries that should guide our lives. It's not saying, do you know, it's okay, you're saved by grace, you can go and do whatever you want, it's a free-for-all. That message is also a fake. For in the very next chapter, chapter 3 that we'll hear about next week, Paul explains what Christian living does look like. So how does this physically false gospel appear in Christians' lives today? Or does it? Well, I'm going to illustrate this by introducing you to my friend standing here on my right, your left. This is legalistic Levi. Okay? So, credit to him, Levi, standing here, has a real zeal for God. But he's like you and me. He's a fallible human being. And there are certain areas of his life that he really struggles with. But being a godly man, he wants to make sure he doesn't do those things. And so he sets himself rules to guard himself, which prevents him from sinning in that particular way. So as an illustration, legalistic Levi likes to party. He likes to imbibe. But he finds that when he goes to parties and he has too much to drink, that he says things and does things that hurt other people and clearly aren't right. So, legalistic Levi decides he's going to stop going to parties and he's going to stop drinking alcohol. Well, that's okay if that helps him. But where it starts to go wrong is where legalistic Levi starts telling others that they also should stop going to parties and stop drinking alcohol. And he starts to judge them. You see, his preferences become his prejudices. And where Jesus has given us principles, Levi has given us prescriptions. And you see, over time, Christians and churches develop very strong opinions or hard stances on things, prescriptions. It might be about clothing or food and drink or about holidays or it might be about, I don't know, Santa Claus or Halloween or horror films, or politics, or social media. And you know, it's fine to have opinions on these things and to make our own rules and boundaries to guard ourselves. But we need to be very careful that we don't judge others for not following our preferences or our prescriptions. But it's not just not doing things that legalistic Levi likes to talk about. He also likes to do things that are good. So legalistic Levi, for instance, finds out that fasting is really good for his connection with God and his health. Great. But then, in love, he starts telling his Christian brothers and sisters that they should do what he does and how he does it for their benefit. And he judges those who don't. So he's converted a principle that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 6, when you fast, into his prescription. Fast like me, like this. Fasting is good. 
if it helps your relationship with God. But it doesn't save you. Jesus does. And likewise, legalistic Levi might feel really strongly about gathering with the church people on a Sunday morning. And so he comes regularly and religiously, but to a degree whereby when his neighbor calls him early Sunday morning and says, can you take me to hospital? He says, no, I'm going to church. No. Going to church is good if it helps you connect and improve your relationship with God. But it doesn't save you. Jesus does. He might mean well trying to honor God and help others, but where God means there to be freedom and joy and diversity, well, legalistic Levi brings chains and frowns and uniformity, where everyone is expected to look a certain way or act in a prescribed way to be a real Christian. And Paul says, warning, this is a fake shadow gospel that puts the law above grace. You see, guys, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let's move on now from the physically false gospel to the spiritually false gospel in verse 18. Have a look in your Bibles. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Now, the truth is we don't actually know exactly what Paul is talking about. We don't know what was going on uh, in the church uh, at that time. We're lacking sufficient knowledge of those practices in question. So you can imagine my complete surprise when I was uh, last night, little old me, just me, I was uh, praying to Gabriel and uh, he told me what it was all about. That was a joke, sorry. Um, We can guess what this worship of angels might have been, but to some degree it doesn't actually matter, the exact details. The point is that some people in the church in Colossae were seeking kind of mystical or spiritual experiences in order to get a sense of connection with God and then judging others who didn't follow their practices or have their experiences. See, the word disqualify is referring to how an umpire or a ref would exclude a sports person from an event for failing to follow the rules. And that's what these people are doing. And Paul says, no, don't let these people say your experiences, or rather a lack of them, mean you are a second-class follower of Jesus. Why? Because these people, they want the experience so they can boast about it. Look at verse 18. It talks about them being puffed up, and then they can gain this status by telling everyone about it. They made it all about themselves their experience, and their status. And in doing so, look at verse 19, they've actually disconnected themselves from Christ and the rest of Christ's church. Now there's often, but not always, a human desire for a religious experience to make us more, more, feel more connected with God. And here I think we need to be careful and sensitive. Are we seeking experience because it makes us feel more connected with God 
or because it gives us a sense of importance amongst others in the church. Mm. Well, let me introduce you to my sister standing here on my left. This is Gnostic Nelly, or Gnostic Nelly. Gnostics. Gnostics were people who believed in mind over matter. Okay? They were people that believed that matter didn't matter and everything spiritual was good. And Gnostics claimed to possess this higher level of knowledge. In fact, the word Gnosis means knowledge. Uh, this higher level of knowledge, this mystical experience acquired on some higher plane of existence. And Nelly here on my left is the kind of person that might attend church primarily for the feeling that it gives her. And then sometimes, actually, she gets disappointed at the end of the service and feels spiritually disconnected if that feeling just doesn't turn up. She's the kind of person that might make sure it looks like she's having an emotional or uh, spiritual experience in public worship with an eye to how other people might be perceiving her. Nellie might be the sort of person who puts pressure on others to have the same kind of emotional or spiritual experience when God might have made or wired other people differently. Nellie might have turned her spiritual experiences into her idol, disconnecting herself from Christ in search of feelings and experiences which continually need topping up in order to sustain her faith. Friends, as Sharon said at the start, we are a word and spirit church. We believe in a supernatural God who can do supernatural things. The God who can and does intervene in miraculous ways, healing broken hearts, healing broken minds, healing broken relationships, healing broken bodies. Yes, experience and emotion have an important part to play in our relationship with God. I mean, any relationship without experience and emotion is a shadow of a true and real loving relationship. I mean, imagine being in a marriage where there's no experience or emotion. It's going to be a pretty shadow marriage. But let's make sure two things, right? It's God we seek, not just the rush of emotions or spiritual experience that may or may not come from time to time. And two, we certainly don't judge others whose faith journey is less experiential than ours. Spiritual experiences are great if they lead you into a more intimate relationship with God, but they don't save you. Jesus does. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Not Jesus plus spiritual experiences. Right, last few verses. Paul is now commenting on the, and contextualizing these religious rules and rituals. Look at verse 20. Since you died with Christ, then jump ahead to the next chapter, chapter 3, verse 1, that William's going to be speaking on. Since you have been raised with Christ. You can see there's a mirror here. Because of Jesus' death, blah. Because of Jesus' erection, blah. Okay, and we're going to do the first blah, not the second blah. Okay, since you died with Christ, why go back to all these rituals? Jesus fulfilled the law. 
If these regulations were tied up with things now done away with in Christ, it's pointless and unnecessary to submit to them, isn't it? Paul says in verse 22, don't submit or succumb to human commands and teachings. Verse 23, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. They are plausible with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body. Makes you look very religious, doesn't it? Why does he warn you about these regulations? Verse 23, our last verse, because they totally failed to control sinful desires or restrain sensual indulgence. You see, these kind of self-help techniques techniques of self-denial, self-abasement, self-mastery, all these self-things don't work because they're striving for something good by human effort. But as we'll learn next week, following Jesus is all about a life not based on self, but based on the power of the resurrected Christ in us. Following Jesus is about setting our hearts and minds on things above. Sorry, I've stepped into William's sermon for next week. Jesus changes and transforms our hearts because the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart, is it not? And so the ideas, the practices, the instructions, the attitudes of legalistic Levi and Gnostic Nelly are pale, shadowy, inferior copies of the real thing. And they're only good for us if they solely point us towards Jesus. So let me relay Paul's warning to the Colossians uh, to you guys, the people of HT. Don't get suckered into physically false or spiritually false gospels that add to the true gospel. Verse 9, wind the clock back to verse 9. All the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And that is because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Amen?